you have such a spotlight on these professions that it really does have a disproportionate impact. So many players are black that it just seems quite odd that the numbers reflect the opposite at the coaching level and at the general manager level. Welcome to The Law in Black and White, a podcast featuring Jonathan Greenblatt and myself, Brian Parker, the co-founders of Legal Innovators, a tech-enabled end-to-end provider of talent management systems to law firms and corporate legal departments. We have been friends for over 25 years. We're both lawyers with lots of opinions. In this podcast, we look at current events, the business of law, innovation, diversity in the legal industry, and occasionally, we'll even talk about sports. As the name of our show suggests, we recognize that there may be aspects of the law that require our thinking to go beyond just the black and white of the law. We share what we know, what we've learned, and what we're still learning. So today, uh, we're going to break from our tradition of speaking to uh, someone from the outside and talk about a couple of issues that are very current in the news. We don't intend to completely investigate each of these topics, but they are timely and they do bear on quite a few issues that we are involved in and mostly DE and I. And so we thought we'd talk about two. The first one would be uh, what's going on with the NFL and the Rooney Rule as brought to light. uh, Well, it's always been out there, but the focus is now even more intensely on it through the lawsuit that's been filed recently against the NFL. And the second thing is the open appointment to the Supreme Court and President Biden's announcement that he intends to appoint a black woman. We think both of those things are timely and it would be worth talking about and starting a dialogue. So, Brian, do you want to start with the NFL um, uh, lawsuit? Uh, Just to be clear, um, neither of us intend to get into the merits of the lawsuit. We don't know the facts, and these cases are fact-specific. Rather, the lawsuit is just a vehicle, really, for calling attention to an issue that's been out there for a long time. And so we thought we'd talk about it. Yeah. And I guess I'm any listeners to our show know that uh, I'm a Raiders guy and you're uh, you're a Giants guy. And I'm just glad to see that the Raiders for one time uh, are not mired in (laughs) some sort of uh, lawsuit. But, um, you know, John, I think as you as you framed it, um, you know, it is it is obviously a, um, you know, a serious issue. And it's one that takes on parallels. Uh, to our own mission of trying to drive systemic uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal industry. And the Rooney Rule, owner of the Steelers, and it's still in the Rooney family, uh, was aptly named because uh, he was a pioneer uh, in driving diversity uh, in the coaching ranks. Um, and, you know, we we owe uh, a, a debt to him for that innovation. And for listeners that may not be familiar, the Rooney Rule um, says that uh, each team for its head coach uh, opening uh, for coordinators uh, and for GM positions uh, needs to include um, in its candidate pool uh, diverse candidates. The controversy here seems to be that uh, despite the NFL being 70 made up by 70 percent black players, uh, there is uh, fewer than 10 percent uh, black head coaches. And, and right now, um, it's just 1% uh, in the NFL. So it's a 3% rate. Um, and I think we probably have to talk about it from a systemic uh, perspective, John. It's, um, 
you know, I guess how I look at it is how, how have we gotten here where there was something proposed that um, was going to bring more, um, I guess, diversity and, and, and equity to the, to the coaching ranks. And it's on the books every year. Teams go through it. But I don't want to say it's totally devoid of teeth. But it doesn't seem to be uh, quite driving the results. Um, so maybe we'll get in a little bit on uh, some some possible um, maybe refinements and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and I guess I'll just start as a lawyer, as an NFL fan, um, as a, a, a black man and a leader in society. Um, I want us to be cautious of not thinking about it as a, a quota system. Um, but something of equity, um, and and there certainly uh, seems to be, and there has seemed for a while, uh, an uncomfortable disconnect uh, again uh, between how many black players make up the league and how many people are in, in leadership. So I think it's a worthy conversation, um, and it's likely um, something that that has to really more meaningfully involve owners. And it's hard to tell people that own something what to do, right? And and so how do you how do you create allies and you know co-opt people versus trying to you know legislate? I mean, it's like can we legislate morality? Well, it's interesting because I think the parallels to the legal profession are uh, real. They tried something with the Rooney Rule. It was meant to be an advancement. In practice, as we've gone along for a couple of decades now, I think, of having it, it hasn't really fulfilled its mission. I would say in the legal profession, a lot of people you know, focused on diversity in the 90s and started to do some things, and it stalled to some extent. We didn't make that much progress. And one of the reasons, as you know, that we formed Legal Innovators was to try to rethink some of these things and address them structurally. I feel like that's where we are with this. There needs to be more than the Rooney rule. Um, we've got to learn, okay, what worked from it? What doesn't work from it? How do you prevent it from being a sham where people just go through oh, like a checklist thing. I'm not saying, <clears throat> yeah, checklist. I'm not saying that happened because I don't know the facts, but I'm saying it can't happen. And so, you know, so I think everybody in the NFL has to step back and think about, well, how can we actually affect change more effectively than the Rooney rule has been able to do? You know, a couple ideas we've seen written about, uh, one would be to make sure that there is uh, in the decision-making process more people of color involved in the interviews, involved in the process, so that at least that point of view can be brought across uh, to the extent it isn't otherwise being brought across. And uh, now I understand the owners may take the position, I can only have in the room the people who are part of the mm -hmm. decision-making process. But it's just like the law profession. If we stick with what we've always done, progress. I think one thing we know is it won't necessarily mm -hmm. change. The second thing that's interesting is you use the statistics of 70% um, of the players are black, and uh, I think you said 1%, 3% of the coaches currently, and sometimes it goes right. to 10%, are, are, are black. Um, the, I wonder whether there's a, actually a, a bias against players becoming coaches. That's a good point. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, because if you look at some of the coaches, they didn't all play professional football. They might have played high school, mm -hmm. college football, but at some point they got off got that out of the track. coaching track. I'm not right. saying yeah. all. <laughs> There's a disproportionate number of backup quarterbacks who weren't stars who were right. great coaches. <laughs> um, there's a lot of coaches who were sort of, you know, not necessarily frontline players. 
And it's rare to see an all-star or a Hall of Famer become a coach, you know? So so I wonder whether part of the problem is making the leap from in the mindset of uh, owners, maybe mm-hmm. even the public, that a Those great player actually can also mm-hmm. be a great coach. Um, now, sometimes great players of any background struggle to coach because – it came easily to them and they can't understand how it doesn't come easily right. to some other people. Um, but I don't think that's the social problem right. right now. The social problem now is there are candidates that are in that mm-hmm. are in the pool. They are coordinators and they're getting stuck. They're not moving from that coordinator position up into the coaching mm-hmm. rank or they are getting one ch- yeah, chance. That's it. And, you know, many, many NFL coaches get fired. So it's not unusual for a coach to get fired. Longevity, you don't become an NFL coach if you expect a lot of longevity with certain But are they getting a quicker hook, maybe? But they get another, yeah, that's, I think, the question, right? They get, are they getting a second chance faster and more often? And I would say, without having studied the statistics, just Mm -hmm. anecdotally, the answer to that is yes, they are. Um, So it's one strike and you're out when it doesn't work that way for white coaches. Yeah, I wonder and you and you're talking about a, you know, sort of a, a systemic, you know, issue, John. I guess, you know, I, I would bring up an anecdotal, you know, anecdotal thing and and sometimes what we would say in having some of these conversations, particularly where, you know, it's concentrated groups of African Americans talking about it, are, you know, you get the, you know, when it's time for a, a black coach to get the head coaching job, you get one of the, you know, the teams that's really down and out, like, you know, the Cleveland Browns and, and uh, Hugh Jackson had him when they were. And now there's, you know, sort of allegations that he was paid to lose and things like that. You know, I wonder, you know, how much of that is is real. But when we talk about it being systemic, you know, one, what do you mean? And I, and I wonder if you have a, um, a thing of uh, an opinion on this, like, why do we care? Like, why is it, why is it such a big deal? Um, and I know it can only be, you know, your personal opinion, but we're trying to solve this issue. Does, you know, a problem really exist? Like, why is this an issue that we don't have more uh, black, you know, black coaches in the NFL? Well, let's take the high profile nature of mm-hmm. any sport mm-hmm. away for a minute, but then I yeah. want to come back to it. We care in any profession where there seems yeah. to be inequity. No, I think we, right. we care when people who are otherwise qualified aren't mm-hmm. getting jobs. Um, so right. we do care in the NFL and the NBA and uh, Major right. League Baseball, which is right. maybe even worse, um, you know, in some ways. You have such a spotlight on these professions that um, it, it, it really does have a disproportionate mm-hmm. impact. And then you have the, the the fact that, as you pointed out, so many players are black that it just seems quite odd that the numbers reflect the opposite at the coaching level and at the general manager right. level. No, and, and and obviously I was trying to be a bit provocative so the audience could think along with us. I think you you know uh, stated that stated that really well. Um, it is like who's involved in equity, and like you said, we. Uh, we care about that in society. We say, look, like the American dream, if you you know can kind of build yourself up and if you're the best person, you'll get a chance to do the job. Um, as we were thinking about having this segment, um, I read an a open letter from uh, Tony Dungy to the NFL owners. Obviously, Tony Dungy is um, you know, a person who, at least from what I hear, and I'm not an NFL insider by any means, but at least from what I hear, 
is kind of universally respected, right? Other coaches, uh, players, uh, owners. He has been a, a, a past head coach, I think, at two different stops. He won a Super Bowl. And he was basically telling the story, actually including uh, using himself um, in the in the story as one of the examples of is this an evolutionary thing that we that coaches maybe will take the next jump, but we have to, and I think you said it a little bit or at least hinted at it with with ownership, we have to change our mindset a little bit. And what I mean by that is that he gave examples of quarterbacks and how people used to um, say, well, there's no black quarterbacks. Um, can, you know, black people play the position as well? Um, can they read the defenses? Are they, you know, it's a lot of complexities. And his thought as he was coming out of college and he was a really good player, they made him switch positions. So he said, look, I'd never got a chance. So we don't know. And Warren Moon, who we know is in the Hall of Fame, actually had to, uh, despite being, I think he was a Pac-8, it was Pac-8 back then, a Pac-8 player of the year and won Rose Bowl. He had to start in the Canadian Football League and won five Grey Cups, which is their their Super Bowl, before he then got a chance in the NFL. Um, and then he had to prove himself all over again. So if we had his Canadian days playing, I mean, he may have every record known to known to man. So I I was persuaded by those examples of saying, hey, might we just need to step back here? And certainly, I want to be clear that I'm not saying just because somebody did play the game. Or because there are seventy percent black players, you should definitely, you know, should absolutely have have a coach um, that's black. But what we are saying, and what I am saying, is that they should have that chance to prove their mettle. And equity might suggest that if it's not seventy percent black coaches, it's certainly a number that's a lot higher than three or ten. How do you think about that? Is that a real thing? Do you think uh, there's a mindset maybe with owners that? will need to be in dialogue with to say, hey, maybe it's not an active racism. Maybe this is one of those things of uh, an unconscious bias where we're saying, hey, there's a club. I'll go to the people that are, you know, play golf with me that I know. Um, and and we need to try to get past uh, this mindset. Well, I, I definitely I think that that cannot yeah. hurt. I mean, having owners uh, get some training so that they are opening their minds cannot hurt. Whether it'll make a difference, I don't know. But if there's unconscious mm -hmm. biases, which there undoubtedly are, that uh, people can understand and then try to counteract, it's got to help. You know, as always, when we're dealing with relatively small numbers, because we are dealing with relatively small numbers of coordinators who make the leap head to coach, right? head coach, <clears throat> You know, it's another pipeline issue along the lines of what we talked mm -hmm. about with the law. You have to have people developing at a younger and earlier stage of the coaching cycle. You've got to have mentors, you know, that you need people to get exposed. You need people to uh, get the right job that is considered to be the stepping stone into a head mm -hmm. coaching job. And then I think the clear thing is you have to be willing to give people the same second chance if they didn't cut it or got fired, whether they didn't cut it suggests it was their fault, but it may have been the team just mm -hmm. was bad. Um, but, but um, if they didn't, if they got fired at their current, at their prior job, which as we discussed, so many NFL coaches do irrespective of background, you know, are we, are we doing a one strike and you're gone a kind of deal when it comes to black coaches and where white coaches are getting recycled more and more and more. And, I, and and if that's happening, 
then you have to look at that and say, why are we giving this person a second chance, but we're not giving this right. other person or, a, or a longer chance. lead? And, and why is it that like uh, basketball, right, which is another sport you might look and say uh, a good majority of the players are black. They've had an easier time making progress in the coaching and even in the in the GM ranks. Why haven't we been able to do that in, in the NFL? Um, and, you know, we're clearly talking about groups of owners. And, you know, so one set has done it and been able to get it right. And, and the other, you know, the other hasn't. I actually would take the NBA and say maybe that is a hopeful sign yeah. because it wasn't that long no, ago that could be that. before it wasn't true in the NBA either. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the last decade, it's changed dramatically. Um, and there's a lot of young, dynamic black coaches in the NBA who are on the ascendancy, you know, and maybe they're just ahead in the cycle. But I'd like to believe that whatever lessons there are to learn from that, and I think that has to be examined, can be imported into the other sports. Yeah. And I, and I know, I mean, obviously we have Michael Jordan, uh, who, who owns the team in Charlotte. And one of the proposals that I've heard um, a number of times has to do with increasing uh, the number of minority owners or ownership groups. Um, currently, there are none uh, in the NFL. Um, and, I, and I wonder... You know, we know that uh, Broncos are uh, about to be put up for sold um, by the uh, state of the late owner, uh, Pat Bolden, uh, over there. So do we say, hey, we need to have a preference or some sort of priority to get uh, minority owner groups? One person that's been uh, mentioned out there is uh, Robert Smith. Uh, so the private equity, um, uh, private equity billionaire who's, you know, made tons of money and certainly could be in the market for this. But I guess my my thought is we need to break into the ownership groups. And maybe you're right. I hope you're right that it's a hopeful sign that the NBA has, has gone before. And it usually seems that progress is, OK, if we get some people in there, they're doing a good job. Uh, and then, you know, we can kind of keep uh, uh, keep going from there. Uh, but it, it does seem that we've been going back and forth for a little while in the N NFL. Yeah. And look, ownership is the most direct way. Right. But. You know, that's a that's a uh, really, I think, uh, an illustration of the point. You need to have more diversity in the room making the decision. Correct. If you have more diversity in the room making the decision, you'll get a diversity of views and opinions. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it doesn't mean that there will be, uh, you know, everybody's going to line up racially with the candidate. Yeah. It no, just means right. you're going to get more views. <clears throat> right. and, and, uh, and at least it would give people more comfort. That um, that that there whatever unconscious bias or conscious bias, even worse, there may be, is being uh, uh, to some extent in, balanced out. Right, and and I wonder, you know, if if I agree with what you just said, um, and I also wonder if uh, you know, finance is kind of the there's there's another analogy, you know, say from the the tech industry. Uh, we said kind of the same thing about the tech industry and, and there were no minorities. And then there was a specific focus of uh, consumers that were pushing the advertisers and then, you know, other companies got involved. And what I and, and the parallel that I'm trying to draw, uh, John, just to see what your thought might be, is that, all right, we're in our Super Bowl two weeks, right? We always say two weeks because there's two weeks between the championship and the Super Bowl. Um, and usually the, the conversation is dominated by personal profiles of players or uh, maybe we have an underdog like we do here with the with the Cincinnati Bengals playing in the game but 
the headlines have been dominated by uh, the the suit that former coach Flores has brought and this discussion of the Rooney rule. Uh, I'm I'm wondering in a way if the timing and, and maybe he's crazy like a fox. I don't know, um, but I wonder if the timing and kind of stepping ahead of the biggest money making machine in sports. Um, the economics could be another tool that we use to get the owners to focus on this because, you know, normally if you hit somebody's pocketbook, um, they'll at least start thinking more broadly. Yeah, look, I, I don't have any insight into the lawsuit, but I think it was strategically thought through. Uh, let's put it yeah. that way. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, let's switch topics yeah. um, briefly from the Rooney Rule, which we could continue all, to talk about. And I think we should follow. And, I, and, and I'll just say one more thing that I wanted to append yeah. to what you said about people in the room. In terms of solutions, because I think that that's at the end of the day where we hope the conversation would go. And we hope that, you know, people that are listening, please, you know, chime in with your solutions um, because it is about making systemic progress. Things like transparency, things like um, maybe letting the the minority uh, candidate that you are interviewing subject to the current Rooney rule uh, goes first. So it's not just a check the box thing at the end. And maybe that there's some uh, feedback that's provided, both, hey, what you did well, what you didn't, so that there can be this mentoring and this grooming. Um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure we left people with some, you know, specific thoughts that that kind of aim towards solutions as well. Great. Um, well, going from the NFL to the Supreme Court uh, is a little bit different. But, <laughs> there's a um, switch. <laughs> there's a switch, right? Um, but President Biden has uh, had made a campaign pledge that he would appoint a uh, black woman to the Supreme Court. That has uh, become a controversial concept, which, to be honest, was surprising to me um, that it's controversial. But obviously, there are people who find it to be controversial. And, you know, I thought maybe we should or we thought mm -hmm. maybe we should talk about it a little bit without meaning to get into the weeds too much. But um, why do you think, Brian, it's become this controversial point when presidents have made the point that they're going to mm -hmm. uh, make certain kinds of appointments, whether it's gender based or background based in the past. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there used to be, it may not have been officially right. said, but it, I remember distinctly in my lifetime, there was a sense that there was going to be a Jewish seat on the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, I, I mean, that was openly discussed, mm -hmm. but perhaps not in a in a public way by the president. Mm -hmm. uh, so so it's always so what makes this different? Yeah, you know, John, uh, you know, we're 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 walking a fine fine line, right? Because we're trying not to be, you know, sort of too political, and we're not in some of these rooms and all of those kind of things. Um, but I do think it's important. I think it's about. I think balance is important because. If as one of the, the the branches of government, you know, the Supreme Court in terms of the judiciary branch has this ultimate check, um, we don't want them to be political, but we want it to be well balanced, right? Because they're trying to I, I think it should be a representative, um, a representative body. And for me, I think it's been implied um, that uh, we're likely going to have a white person. And a lot of times that's been a, a white male. And so nobody's questioned it or nobody said anything. And presidents in those cases 
haven't had to say, well, you know, I'm going to nominate a white male to be on the Supreme Court now. I think people expect if it'd be the exception if it's not. And we could look back at at uh, at, at President Trump. He didn't preface that way uh, with with uh, with uh, Justice uh, Kavanaugh. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the, um, the the person that preceded Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, maybe you'll chime in with that. But when it was uh, people were clamoring and said, hey, well, we need balance with women, uh, too. Um, and I think he did preface it that way ahead of uh, Justice uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett's uh, nomination. And so where our country is right now, and, and I, I'm a little uncomfortable um, or a lot uncomfortable in the way that um, um, Chief Justice Roberts talked about, hey, what is the role of the court? Are we supposed to be calling balls and strikes or actually making policy? And I think it is uh, supposed to be calling balls and strikes, but our country seems so at each other's throats. We're so divided and the Senate is 50-50 and everything is like, you know, we've got the insurrection. And so now uh, it's a, it becomes, unfortunately, another talking point where we want the, the, at least in my opinion, where we want the Supreme Court to be balanced. And there has not been a black woman uh, on the Supreme Court. Um, you know, hold aside ideology. The fact that uh, President Biden said this, and it was said in a, um, uh, it was said in a um, campaign moment. I think that his opponents and and the other side have taken it to say, oh well, you know, this is quotas, and why are we having to make race an issue? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's for uh, obvious that we have uh, ways to go here in this country and education and and, and other things. Um, to me, it's the, the current political climate that we find ourselves in um, and having Republicans and Democrats so much at each other's throats because you'll remember like I do, um, and maybe this is you, you hinted at a minute ago, presidents were often given um, a great deal of deference when they, were, uh, when they were nominating somebody to the Supreme Court and it didn't become such a partisan fight that it's been here lately. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> my perspective on that is that that actually started in the '80s. Um, it's been, unfortunately, uh, and that might be right. Think, that might uh, be right. <laughs> both sides have, had, both parties have engaged in this, right. which I think is wrong um, uh, on, on both sides of the equation. I agree. But um, putting that aside, um, you know, you hear this uh, uh, argument that well. It's uh, black women represent a small segment of the population, mm -hmm. so it's not really a representation right. issue. Well, <clears throat> that is ignoring the woman part of the black woman right. mm -hmm. uh, uh, characteristic, right. Uh, right. which is fifty percent of the population. Right. And and I, <clears throat> it you know, I'm interested to. I would be interested to see how do women generally across the board feel about the idea that the president has said this is the category of person he's going to try to find a very qualified candidate from within in order to have greater representation because it's everybody's focusing on the black mm -hmm. part of it um <clears throat> but but it's also the gender part right. of it uh, that is um also uh all presidents of the last 40 years have felt is important to reflect on the Supreme Court. So yeah. um, not everybody who has the opposite views do I respect, but some of the people mm -hmm. who have a, the opposite reviews I do respect. But I don't understand it in this case. I really yeah. don't. I, I struggle with understanding what the objection is here, assuming the candidate is highly qualified. Right. I mean, then let's look at the candidate on the merits. Right. No, and I, and I think that's right. And one of the 
potential justice nominee um, the, who was um, confirmed, even including some Republican support to the D.C. circuit. And she's been rumored to be one of the top candidates. It's like, OK, well, how are you so qualified then? But, you know, but but not now. Um, and I and I do think we have to this should be. um different and it feels to me like maybe a little bit more outside of the um outside of the partisan politics and john you and i have talked about this before and and we focus with our business right on or we try to um on issues of structural change right and so should this cause us to look at the structure of the supreme court right and right now we've got this you know nine justices and whichever president's in there and so um, you know, we'll be at six to three uh, conservative versus liberal. Is that the right way to look at it? And are there other things that we can do, like some of the proposals that we've heard around 15 justices where you'd have standing committees and you'd have some that could be appointed by each party, but it would get balanced out um, by having this non-political uh, commission that was charged with filling some of the seats. I don't know how you feel about that as a structural issue in trying to take this on, um, because that would, whether it's the Jewish seat, the black women's seat, I mean, we, we can keep on going down the line, the conservative seat. Um, I think we start to divorce ourselves from politics because if we don't, and then the Supreme Court has to be a check on either a politician or the political process. I mean, let's look at Gore v. Uh, v. Bush. Can it really do its job um, of calling policy shots? You know, the other thing is you want the court to be accepted as a legitimate mm -hmm. arbiter mm -hmm. of difficult mm -hmm. issues. And if it doesn't, isn't reflective of major aspects of the population, then people lose confidence yeah. in it. And not only putting aside that the court isn't getting the benefit of different views during its deliberation, which is important also. But the integrity of the process really requires someone, I think, requires that that people in our society feel mm -hmm. that that they have a that someone on the court is willing to at least bring their views to the table, uh, you know, and be sure that they're going to be heard, even if it ends up that when you call balls and strikes, you called it ball and you thought it was a strike. People can live with that when they think there's it's legitimacy. Mm -hmm. And that to me is is what's really the most important thing about this. Yeah. Now and 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 I know we're gonna we're gonna wrap wrap soon. I think it's such an incredible point. And 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 also, I mean, I know you made it, but I'd highlight too or rebring it up. We have gender uh, issues of of gender and color, right? Because if let's just say a black woman was confirmed, yes, that is another black person on the Supreme Court, but it's also another woman, right? Which would make it five men, four women, and a time where we have uh, a potential very, very, uh, as uh, what did uh, Justice Kavanaugh uh, call it, a super uh, precedent with with Roe coming up, and I won't put my personal views. Well, I guess I will put my personal views out there that I think a woman should have the the right to choose. But if we're making a decision on what women can do with their bodies, I certainly want it to be uh, that there's a proportionate amount of women uh, that are in the debate or making the decision. So great point. Well, we got into it a little bit there. Um, very Football took us off track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not often that I have a conversation about football and the Supreme Court. <clears throat> 
back to back, but uh, but here we are. We're just reflecting the news of the day, really, yeah. uh, and discussing it. And um, uh, obviously, having these views is not meant to offend anybody who has different views. They're just important issues to discuss, and we feel that this is something that, uh, given our mission, it's worth uh, uh, us talking about. That's right. So, <laughs> That's uh, right. so Brian and I want to thank all of you for joining us um, and for listening to The Law in Black and White. We very much hope you enjoyed it. You can find us at legal-innovators.com for even more insights. You can also subscribe to our podcast and follow Legal Innovators on social media to see what we're up to. We look forward to talking to you next time. If there's anything that pops up between now and our next podcast, we'll probably take to the air and stay safe in the meantime.